Thank you, Pat. Thank you for Craig, anybody that's helping us in the landlines. And thank you to all of you for being here with us today. I'm going to start off with just a short reading. I'd like to dig deep into alternative prayers, etc. So this is from the Gospel of the Beloved Companion, the complete Gospel of Mary Magdalene, chapter 13, 1 through 4. Soon after these things, there was a festival in Jerusalem, and Yeshua went there. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which is called Bethasva, having four, five porches. In these lay a great multitude of those who were sick, lame, blind, or paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water at certain times of the day. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made whole of whatever disease he had. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Yeshua saw him lying there and he knew that he had been sick for a long time, he asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but I am coming. Whenever I'm coming, another steps down before me. Yeshua, raising his right hand, said to him, Arise, take up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was made well and took up his mat and walked. And from the Gospel of Thomas, number 22, Jesus saw some infants being nursed and said to his disciples, These children are like those who enter the kingdom. They said to him, If we are children, shall we enter the kingdom? And Jesus said to them, When you make the two one, and when you make the inner like the outer, and the outer like the inner, and the upper like the lower, and when you make the male and the female into a single one, so that the male is not male and the female is not female, when you make the eyes in the place of an eye, a hand in the place of a hand, a foot in the place of a foot, an image in place of an image, then you shall enter the kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I'm just asking today that you can help us understand the significance of these two quite diverse but also similar readings as we try to understand the causes of our illness and the causes of our separation from you. Maybe today in our talk, hopefully some of our words can reach and help ease some of the pains and the suffering and heal anybody that's looking for that step today. Thank you for your kindness. Amen. I'd like to welcome my two co-speakers here today, Acolyte Eric Otto and Rich Schaefer. Both are deep friends of mine who have taken, we do a lot of work together. We've been doing work together for a long time. Hello, Eric. Hello, Rich. Hi. Good evening. All right. So I thought I'd start by a discussion that we could have together. So I'll talk a little bit, but then I'd like you guys to jump in and explain your pieces as well. And part of the talk today, which was about how childhood trauma affects health and also your inner connection to the divine, opening your heart, et cetera. I think we all have some personal stories or personal background that we can kind of explain to help understand how we each each of us came to our own walk here. And I'll just start with mine that I was, I grew up in a medical family in a safe location. My parents were very, very careful about where I grew up and the type of schooling I'd get in Detroit, Michigan. It was a safe neighborhood. Never experienced anything that a lot of people have to suffer from in terms of war or poverty or, you know, I had a very safe life. And therefore, I felt like I didn't have a lot to complain about. I also was in a medical family, so everything was happening right there in the house because dad did the practice out of the house and I was his assistant since I was eight. So I actually became like a little scientist from then on where he would ask me to help diagnose the animals and their illnesses. And one of the things I, we made a lot of connections too is that the animals would often be sick as a result of what was going on in the family as opposed to the dog caught a disease. The dog's disease seemed to be related to the stress that was going on in the family. I would notice that dad would always, he did house calls, so we'd he'd address what was going on. Hey, what's happening? And we find out somebody got fired or somebody was going through a divorce or there was some great stress about some family situation that was going on. And that's when we tried to talk it out with the people that seemed like the animals always recovered. That being the case, I, I had lots of little issues. I was sick like any child. I had the flu a lot every six months, actually, and chickenpox and all the rest of the diseases. And I came through them just fine. But I did have a lot of them, and they continued on into college, and I noticed that, hmm, I wonder why I'm getting sick so often. And I made kind of an observation that it seemed like when I was in 
home when I was younger, my illnesses kind of slowed down my family from the natural kind of craziness that happens of every day. And so I was wondering, why was I doing it? Well, it seemed like I was getting sick around my finals and stuff like that. So I noticed I was trying to find a way to kind of get out of the stress of what was happening about me having to take tests. Nothing was really very different for me, but as I, I had a very successful life, like I said, I had just made the basketball team at Michigan State, at JV, on varsity, but still it was very successful. I never thought I'd have a chance to do that. And my life was really good. In fact, I actually had just found a partner that I wanted to be with and we got married. And it was then all of a sudden my life started to unravel. Now underneath this, besides the wonderfulness of what was going on in my life, I knew I wasn't happy. That I could tell and I could feel. I just kept finding myself more and more frustrated, more and more intention and just not happy, but happiness was who I am. And the more that I began to see myself as angry due to all the pressure of trying to get my thesis done and stuff, the more I felt like I was drifting away from me. And thus I made a realization I needed help. I had been trying to see a therapist at school, which is mostly just social work. And I just talk out my day and that my week or whatever, and that would help a little bit. But I began to realize that as he pointed out some things that maybe my family life wasn't as great as I thought, but I wasn't still interested in going deep, deep into it. I, I didn't really have any desire to do that. But in writing my thesis, I, I, I was about as dead as I could be. My brain was just fried from trying to get all this left brain stuff done. And I was really, really, really confused. Like, if this is your goal, what's it going to be like the rest of your life? And then I had a meeting with my my ex-wife's mother-in-law, um, long since divorced. And my mother-in-law had been very messed up when I first met her, a real alcoholic. <laughs> so I was a little bit distant from her, but she was a good partier. And the next time she showed up in town, she was like Buddha. She was so clear. She was so peaceful. She was so happy. And the first thing I heard in my mind is, Whatever she did, I have to do. I heard that in my head. This is also the same time that you've heard the story about my bees listening to me, and also the same time that my grandmother woke up from the dead. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, this voice just keeps speaking up here. And she explained to me, I said, what did you do? How did you change? And she said, well, you know, I don't really like to talk about it. I said, no, please tell me, because i got to do something like it. She said, well, I did this thing called the process. It's a type of... Therapy, I found in doing my research, it exists here in California. It's not to be confused with the Hoffman process. It originally was created as the Fishmer-Hoffman process by a therapist who was working with another therapist who died. And then the therapist who died channeled how therapy could help us understand ourselves better by understanding the nature of our choices as children and how we lose ourselves from being a child to trying to fit into a family, maybe based upon family systems therapy that goes back to the John Bradshaw years in the 80s and 90s. It was very po popular in public television and stuff. So it was a new thing that was coming across, a whole new thing beyond psychology, which was always blaming a person or labeling a person for their problems. This was beginning to try and help unravel what happened that creates the problem. So I signed up for this for this process, which was in a 13-week course at the time I took it in 1987. And I moved out here to California just to do it because it, it was only being done in person and you had to be here to do it. So got a job locally and halfway through it or well, a third through it, and my father died. So I had to quit and go home and take care of all that. And when I came back, I realized I hadn't really been doing the work the way that I could do the work. Because when I went in, I had a very limited idea of what I wanted to work on. I was very upset and mad about some things that happened to me between me and my father growing up. We always have something going on with one of our parents. It's a little bit like they didn't understand us. But I had a lot. But when I went home after my father died, I was shocked to realize how much how many things I was recognizing I'd picked up from my mother. When I say picked up, I mean belief systems inherent to who I am, because one of the things I learned at the process was how I'd forgotten who I was. I think when I started the process, I couldn't remember before five years old. And in the sessions, as you work one-on-one -on -one or with a group, I was beginning to have regression themes. Again, I didn't remember a lot of my childhood, so I thought I was making a lot of it up at first, except it was so clear. And I started remembering five and four and three and two and one. And in fact, being born and before being born, choosing my parents. So I had this memory, a brief memory of being spirit before I came here. And this big gap of like, yeah, something was happening. I don't know what. And more and more that information came through over the years as I kept 
pursuing this work. Now, the work itself is not to blame any parent or any family member for anything they ever have done. This is not about placing blame anywhere. It's about understanding the process of choice making that happens to us. Because we as children have to survive, and we're with parents who are as busy as we are now in our lives, trying to get things done and not often able to always meet everybody else's needs because it's just a lot of energy to be giving out. And at that time, when children can't communicate their needs, whether they're hungry or they're scared or anywhere between when they're born to when they can speak, parents have to make a lot of assumptions about how to take care of them, and they do the best they can. In my case, though, what I began to see was little moments where I realized the depth and breadth of my consciousness and what I could see and how I could talk about it, and I could see past lives, and I could talk to my guides. This was way overwhelming for my parents. And so I saw how I began to make decisions about how to make it go away. And finally, at five years old, making it go away. But when you make it go away, that's like you have a whole thesis written down about how you're going to approach your life. And then you erase it all and you have a bunch of lines empty to be filled in. And I found over time in doing this work by accessing a piece of information and Reviewing it, like, why am I having a problem in my relationship? Why am I having problems at my job? It would always come down to some moment in some period in anywhere in growing up that would happen either with my parents or at school, a teacher, some revered person that I admired that would, I would presume had told me not to do something and instead gave me a different alternative about who I am. So they never said it out loud, but it's something that you pick up and begin to believe. So for instance, when I couldn't figure out the right equipment to bring my father for surgery, he would just imply that I was dumb. And after hearing that a dozen times, you start to suggest to yourself, well, maybe I'm dumb. And then you start to, you don't believe you're dumb, but you're like, well, my dad's got to be right and I'm going to make him right. So I'm just going to say I'm dumb. And that way I can get away with stuff. So it's, it's a learned behavior. It's mostly done unconsciously. And it gave me a lot of energy to, to make me go forward and learn more about what, what I needed to know. Now, simultaneously with this, on the last day of cleaning out my graduate student office and moving to California, I developed asthma. And that just, like, took me out. I mean, I, I mean up to that point, I'd been almost a semi-professional athlete. But I couldn't walk down the street without having an attack. So simultaneous to me doing the process, I was also dealing with this massive illness that just showed up out of nowhere, which is a type of allergy to a certain degree. And an allergy is when your immune system is overwhelmed, which happens the entire time you're growing up because you're exposed to not just dirt and dust and chemicals, but you're introduced to stress. And when you're introduced to stress, your adrenals fire off and that signals something to your thyroid and your pituitary and your, your thymus and your ovary or, or testis and et cetera, et cetera. So the whole immune system is on firing up, firing up. And if you're sick over and over again, your body tends to do this over and over again to the point that you can't take anything new and a new illness shows up because it's just an immune response. So in this case, I did all the physical and the chemical work that I could do to solve that. And all the doctors couldn't figure out what it was about, but I knew it had to do with something emotional and something spiritual. So when I finally got to that place, I recognized the reason I wasn't being able to breathe is because I was starting to have information show up to me that I had already committed not to see because I told myself I was not going to be psychic and I couldn't see things anymore and see the aura. But as I was getting older, these things were slipping through and I would start to see them. And unconsciously, I would have an asthma attack to make sure I didn't let it come to the surface. So when I finally spoke the truth, the asthma ended. Along with the physical and the chemical, it's never just one thing to apply to it. And that being said, it left me with a system now of how to look deeply into aspects of my life and also understand how those aspects may contribute to my health. Now, that's a quick and dirty version of this, but I have two friends here that have lots of experience in both the healing modalities of the body as well as their own experiences with health issues. So I think I'm going to bring on Irit first, who's a physical therapist and has been one of my major caretakers this whole time. I've been going through health issues the last two years, and she's a miracle worker with all the things that she does. So Irit, what is your experience of how you came to the process, how it's connected to childhood stuff, and how it's ex connected to health. How, how have you seen this happen for you? Okay. Well, that's a loaded well, every, question. But. Well, every, yeah. Yeah. So everything is connected to childhood stuff. Everything is connected to childhood stuff, and we're not even aware of it. So when we're born, we mimic 
our, our parents. We, we don't know what, like we mirror neuron on them. So I was born into a family of two Holocaust survivors. My mom, on the one hand, never spoke a word. My dad, on the other hand, had transcended, and he shared stories as if he was a superhero. So I, I actually saw him as a superhero, when he, like Superman, when he shared stories, and Clark Kent when he was in his normal day life. So I was taught two things. One, with my mom, like the anger and rage inside of her that I thought was normal. And my dad, who would share stories about the impossible. You know, my grandmother, who knew things before they happened, the miracles that always happened. So this curiosity about healing was from was in me from the time I was a kid. So I had a lot of health issues growing up, but I thought that was normal. And I had a lot of issues with my mom because what would happen is if I said the wrong thing, positive or negative, my mom would freak out and she could faint. And then I thought I killed her. And because that's a little kid, what else do we know? So I didn't know I was taking so much in. And then I went, went to college. I went to, became a physical education teacher. I did really well. And, but something was missing. And I knew that it's like I, there was more. I heard a voice that told me, it's time to leave Montreal. You have to go back to school and learn more about healing. And that voice wouldn't leave me for three days until I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school. And then I made a decision that my whole, my way of tapping into the divine was through physical activity. And that's when I was present. That's when I felt at peace. And that's when I felt connected. And then I said, but I want to learn more about the mind, body, spirit rather than just everything being physical. And so, of course, the next day I broke my clavicle in the gym doing something ridiculous. But it started my journey. Uh, I started my journey of chronic pain, and I'd have one injury after another. I ended up being in 18 car accidents, which was pretty amazing. And most of them them were not my fault. And there a lot of them were I was stopped at either traffic or red light, and I get hit. And... In physical therapy school, the guy came out and started yelling at me, blaming me, thinking it's no big deal, and he took off. And then I get blamed by my family, my relatives, where I was going to dinner that night when I was in PT school. And the blame thing happened a lot. The blame happened for my mom. The blame happened in different accidents when I I was in stop traffic and another person, another green truck rear-ended me and took off. And I had all these chronic injuries, either illnesses or injuries. And I didn't realize at the time how much our thoughts are connected to our body, how much our thoughts are connected to our health. And there were so many themes that were going on. And I know, like, I lived in anxiety and didn't even realize it. It was like I was born with the anxiety, like with my mom's stress response. I actually ended up mimicking it and always afraid, what if I do the wrong thing? But I thought that was normal. And I had so many things happen. And finally, I said, there might be this correlation between, you know, my family and my health and what's going on. And I wanted to learn to actually understand myself better and understand my mom better because I was so angry at her and understand relationships better because every relationship seemed to be similar to relationships with my mom. So it was kind of interesting. But I went to, I had all these injuries. I did all this work. And then Dana mentioned the process to our class and that it was going to be offered at the school. So I went thinking, I don't really need it. I thought I was, I knew what I was, you know, I thought I knew things. And when I took the two-day process course, all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, there are so many concepts and beliefs that are put into us from the time we're little and they're unconscious and we're not even aware of it, but it rules our lives. And it's like when my mom would faint, I thought I killed her and I didn't even realize it, but she was so anxious from the war stuff. She was so anxious from her childhood stuff. And I was blessed to go full circle and have this amazing healing with her while she was alive, but the neural pathway still got activated. If somebody yelled, even if they were not even close to me and it wasn't even about me, I'd freak out and I'd go into terror. Or if somebody had this angry look, I'd go into terror and i go, I don't want to live like this. I want to get an understanding of why I keep blaming myself, why I keep beating myself up. And so the day before the 13-week process started, I happened to be recovering from a broken hand from surgery and now a frozen shoulder from the surgery. And I was on a bus in Mill Valley. And the next thing I knew, I was on the floor 
on the bus, and I'd been torpedoed headfirst into the wall of the bus. And I had a concussion. I wasn't. I didn't remember what happened, thankfully, because my body protected me. And I broke my left hand, so I had two broken hands, a concussion, a whiplash. And I thought I'm starting the process the next day. And MK came to the ER with me, and I called Dana, and he came to the hospital. And I said, I think I'm being punished. I must be doing something wrong because I blame myself for getting on the bus because the bus driver was whatever. And there was a mirror there, and Dana said, look at the mirror, and that's who's blaming you. And I had no idea what he was talking about because I thought I was being blamed by God. I mean, God was blaming me. But I realized it was me who was blaming myself. And I took the process, and it was a good thing I had a concussion because I stopped my thinking powers, and I could just surrender. And I learned to surrender and receive, and it opened up the door of all these unconscious programs that are affecting our health because every thought affects our immune system. Every thought creates circuitry in our body that will either activate the circuitry of fight or flight, which creates the hormones of inflammation and cortisol and whatever, or the healing properties. And every thought, every belief system is energy and it's locked in our bodies and it's locked in our bodies from even birth or even past lives or our lineage. And so it's so important and it was so important for me to start opening up the doors. So I lived in so much chronic pain and four years ago when I took the process, the doors opened for me to better understand myself and understand the concepts and beliefs that were ruling me so I was no longer a victim. And then the journey began. And interestingly enough, I lived in so much chronic pain my whole life, and I'm much stronger than I was prior to the twin breaks. And the process opened up the door to understanding myself better so I could have more self-compassion and recognize when I'm beating myself up, recognize where I'm modeling my mom's behavior or I took it on as a kid because we all do or, or certain parts of my dad's behavior or other people. And it was ruling me and recognize it was their, their unconscious programs that was ruling them from their lineage. And forgiveness is, is, is like about forgiving ourselves and giving ourselves self-kindness and self-compassion and, and to the others rather than focusing you know, on what the problem is, how do we for, focus on the light. And so health-wise, I'm healthier. When I work with people, I know I re, I, I'm tapping into the God space. It's like reverence and awe, the miracles that keep happening and the energy that's locked in their body, the concepts and beliefs from childhood or that we actually envelop or swallow or inhale from our family affects us. And to get healthy, the mind-body connection, we always have to operate on both realms. So the process, it was a way for me to tap into childhood pieces that were affecting my health concepts and beliefs, not just my health, but my peace of mind, my everything about me. So that's what led me to the process to learn to, to learn to do what I do for others, for myself, learn to have self-kindness and compassion and learn to understand the bigger picture so that I don't constantly stress out, even though I don't even realize I'm stressing out. So Thank you. Thank you. That's very helpful. And again, I will reiterate that I have had this direct experience with her that I'll come in with a dizzy mind and things are happening to me and she gets me on the table and starts working and all of a sudden we can we can narrow down to, hey, this is happening at two and a half years old and this thing happened and I'll see it. And then I'll see how I learned back at two years old to, to take on the dizziness because of something I experienced as a shock in a little tiny event. It wasn't a big deal. It was not painful. I wasn't punished hardly, but it was just this a shock to the 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 innocence of what every spirit is when we come here. Nobody's fault. Just simply, I can't even imagine what it's like for a child that has to go through a war zone experience. You know, like that that kind of damage must be so hard to catch up on. It must ha- have to be kept up, kept or cleared out in future lifetimes, I guess. But there's many different ways to do it. Some people live it out. Some people write it out. Some people act it out. We just learned with the process how to look at it directly. So I'd like to invite in acolyte Eric. Eric has been a long friend of, long-term friend of mine. He's known me ever since I did the process. And I used to tell him ever since I did it, hey, Eric, I think you need to do it. You go, what? Me? No. I don't need to do that. And, but he is a, is a deep friend of mine. He has been the channel for my guides for over 25 years, always keeping me on the straight and narrow. So Eric, tell us a little bit about your past 
history with your health and childhood and how you came to go the process which you got out of that. All right, my friend. Happy to do so. I experienced a very creative expansion as a child. I love creative expansion. And I had a, a, a life that was pretty much illness-free. I had parents, like many, who were challenged, um, which I assume was normal. My mother lived in constant fear and terror. And my dad in some sort of state of agitated frustration. But I kind of grew up a little different. I experienced growing up like the kid in the sixth sense and that I remembered where I was before I was here. And the guides, angels would talk with me. I could see dead people and try not to talk to them. They weren't as pleasant sometimes and all the negative spirits as well. But I had a different connection to reality than even my friends. I could see ores and colors. And it wasn't until later that I realized that none of my friends remembered or saw this stuff. And that kind of let me be in the space of just wondrous creative expansion to not be so trapped in the parent stuff, especially when I get home in their house at night. And, but I did find by high school that I was feeling really trapped, a lot of garbage in my space, and I would work on it a little bit later in my life. In fact, I was offered uh, an opportunity to go do something very similar to the process in high school, but I just didn't quite feel ready for it. And that was, it didn't quite feel the right time for me. And then I met this really interesting client person who became my best friend, Dana, to come get a reading from me. And he just came back from the process. And he was in, well, quite an altered state. So it was hard to assess how that would relate to the process, but it still didn't quite feel like the right time. And each one of you will find the right time for whatever journey you're looking for, for healing, for transformation. But you have to be ready, willing, and able to do it, right? And sometimes there's a time factor, and sometimes there's not a time factor. Sometimes the universe sort of pushes you into a place where that is, it is the time to take care of that. As both Arena and Dana shared, the universe kind of nudged them in the right direction. And I'm trying to avoid, avoid that, that same thing. And if you kind of ignore the, the universe, the divine presence <laughs> nudging you, it might go from a little nudge to a bump to a two-by-four. So I've been trying to avoid the two-by-four two effect. So I found myself on a very fascinating spiritual journey, you know, with, along with Dana and the journey with the, the school with data has been quite interesting. It's fun and other practices I've, I've embarked on over many years. And I felt quite satisfied with that. But I started to feel more and more unsettled. And then I had a very challenging health crisis in 2015 where I found myself in the hospital with severe food poisoning. And it, I nearly died. I had a near death experience where I was just, my heart was just about to stop. I was in that space of light. It was just peaceful. There was no thoughts or words, but it was very clear without words that, that to say yes to the light here, I can I will stay. If I don't, I'll leave. I said yes. I, of course, thought I'd be recovered in three days. And Reed, who helped me and Dana, still take a little longer, a little bit longer <laughs> than you think. Not three months, not three years. Took about five years to get over all the secondary infections and all the other stuff which I won't go into, it's not really that important or pleasant. But it made me realize that, that the this, this creative expansion I wanted to have more in my life, how do I have bigger creations? How do I create expansion in the workflow or the, the finance flow or the creative possibilities like a new car or, or a trip? Bigger things that I found more challenging in my life. Every time I tried to focus on those, I remembered and felt how I felt as a child trapped in the box of my parents' limitations and what's too dangerous to expand into, what's not possible. And, I, and this illness let me confront that. It almost like broke me out of a prison of the past, but the memories were still there. And that's when it was time to look at the process. It became very clear it was time to do it once I got strong enough after the hospital event. And I found it very eye-opening to really be able to see these patterns of, it's hard, like, how does, how do you, childhood trauma, as Dana has talked about, like a child in a war, that's very clear. But what about someone at home where there's no war, where their the family doesn't have any conflict? They're just, they're just grumpy people, right? You know, it's, it's what I learned in the process and something that Bob Bearden shared with me is that when we're children, and there's strong emotional energy, be good or bad, from, a, from an adult figure, authority figure, someone who's taking care of us, taking care of our survival, our needs, our comforts, our food. We can't tell the difference between what they're feeling and what we're feeling. And if they're in a space of frustration, irritation, as my often parents were, trying to deal with three brothers who are out of control sometimes, they're in their trauma of the past, their memory of their childhood when they were punished, when, when their dark happened, when their parents were in a bad space and, and recommended them. And they're standing there looking at the past shadows without realizing, and those past shadows are there. I don't want to say haunting us, but many people come to spiritual 
spaces to to have the darkness released, the shadows of fear, the shadows of something else. And, and in tradition, there's possession. I'm not talking about today here, but really these shadows of our that our parents cast on us are dark shadows that, that have imprinted on us, and we can't tell that it's not ours. And then we're going up to them trying to get help, putting a shoe on, or where's my, how do I put this toy away? And they're upset, they're yelling, but they're yelling from a perspective that has nothing to do with the situation at hand. Clearly, you've walked into a space or seen cartoons or in, in maybe social media or sitcoms where there's a, a person walks in and they sure get a dark cloud over the head they're talking about. And in that person, in that situation, that person, however they can connect with everybody else, is not going to be able to, their darkness does not make sense with the events at hand. And we get these illogical energy, emotional twists in our space that are just so difficult to untwist because we have many current life situations where our button gets pushed. Have you ever wondered what the button, where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Not only does it have an event in childhood, or if, or if your tradition involves past lives as well, it has, that's part of it too. And that stuff is there in the background, and you may or may not be conscious of it, right? Just my hospital event allowed me to be much more conscious of it and be able to be more open to seeing it. Oh, this is like, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm back in the 70s right now. Whoa, at work. I, I, I need the light. And we'll talk more about that, I believe, at some point here. I don't know how much time I have, but I'll keep going until I hear a little bell or something or the angels tap me on the head, is that that reaching for the support is critical. And one of the things I like about the process is that it includes that divine higher support in in the process itself. Because when we're children, we have these these shadows that haunt us, that imprint on us, that, that make the simplest of choices. Why do we go? We get stuck in a weird glitch and we get so frustrated. Why do we feel so sick or bad or angry or festering or, or, or reactive or just, just get upset at things that don't make sense, right? Sometimes when we unwind that stuff, perhaps you could do traditional therapy or, or even a regression therapy or a timeline type thing. We can't go back and receive the love or the light of the support that the parent didn't give, but we can actually go back and feel the light of support that the divine presence has there for us in the present moment to let that saturate that event, that space, for you to feel it's safe. The light's there. This, this isn't, wasn't your cause. You know, I find that most people I work with and experience, they just aren't born bad. They don't just don't do, do bad, evil things, Right. And maybe their parents are the same way too. They're just trapped in, in this pain. And so you're, you're not that bad person you may think you are. You just have some bad vibes that just need to be released. And yes, it may affect future choices in your life that have created more bad vibes. Maybe relationships failed, businesses, or there's been litigation or this and anger and fights and stuff. But so much of that is from this, the charge that's not been resolved. And it, the different spiritual traditions that I've been exposed to experience that in and found the empowerment that is, is the presence is there in all of those and wants to hold you. It wants to hold, hold the dark and scary with you. It wants to hold the dark and scary for you. Not to change you, but you can't fix it. One of the most powerful things I love about CLM is the power of surrender. And in Buddhism, it's the power of non-attachment. And other traditions, I've done some Sufi stuff, uh, dervish dancing, that's the right name, but there's so many powerful spaces of of letting yourself trust being released in a safe, held space where the light is present. And that's that's what the presence, in my experience, it's just, it's there to take the unfixable. It's it's there to, to bring light to the unfixable. Because you think you're broken. Well, you're, what's broken is, what's in you is broken memories. And those are the broken that wants to release. So that's what I found inspiring and helpful with the process. And it's not particularly religious or spiritual. It just has that aspect of the light and higher guidance, which I don't have a lot of experience with other forms of therapeutic model or the people who work in that field don't, don't bring in that kind of spirituality because so many people have a religious challenge sometimes. But that's not involved in the process religion, but the light is. So that's been my experience with meeting up to the process and what I found helpful and why I would encourage someone to do it should they feel called to do it. Hopefully not by a two by four situation. <laughs> yeah, I you always joke. Good with, enough. Like, yeah, that's great, Eric. 
I, I used to always think that my life was a two by four study hall or something like that. So I used to joke about it. Now, we're not, the three of us are not here trying to promote the process. We're just, we all had a great experience in working in this modality that's a, when Eric and Enrique did it in the last two years, I believe, it's reduced itself to a nine-week course. But it's very structured, like the same work that I did at FSD, where you, you look at what it, what are the things that you learned from your mother from birth to now, all the significant ones that got triggered that give you wrong information, as well as then you see the things from your father. And then in the you go even further to see what happened to them. You can see what happened to them in their childhood and, and how they had to lose it. What happened to their parents in their childhood? So it's a, a, a long road of compassion. And what you understand about yourself, you're separated into your spiritual self or authentic self, it's called. And then you have an inner child and an intellect that are constantly the ones that are the ones that are complaining or arguing or fighting. Your authentic self is who you were before you forgot all this. So when I finished the process, a door opened to me almost immediately to do another organizational work, gr group's work called the Ridwan work, and particularly something called the Diamond Heart Process. It was based in Sufism mixed with Buddhism mixed with uh, psychotherapy. And so they took another step, I guess, believe this this teacher also had done the process, as I understand, and later he became awakened or enlightened like Eckhart Tolle had. And now he had a, a style of how he was teaching things. So what he did was a step further using Sufi information that all of us are God. And all of us, therefore, come in with a very strong, holy quality. Holy truth, holy will, holy love, holy strength, holy equanimity, holy wisdom, holy courage, etc. But what will happen is when we're not recognized to have that, because the world doesn't recognize all of us as walking Buddhas and walking Jesuses. We keep being told there's only one person that has these qualities, but everybody has it. It's just a matter of how far away we've fallen away from it. And what they say is happens is in that forgetting, when you forget, that essence flips sideways and becomes a passion. In the Sufi tradition, it's actually called a passion. In the Christian tradition, that sideways flip is called a sin. So in, this, in the Christian tradition, we have seven sins. But in the Sufi tradition, there are nine passions or nine sins that are the result of flipping nine different holy qualities. So it's always an association that if we can clear up and, and hit the hit the mark right because a sin is a missing the mark but if you choose correctly and return back to who you are not only do you return to the memory of a kind of happy innocent powerful self you also come back into your memory of your personal relationship with the divine because that's how it all starts you're you're you, we keep pretending we don't have this relationship and we've been estranged from it like the phone number's been we lost it or something like that. When instead it was more like, oh my gosh, I knew God every single second back then. I had no idea what people were talking about when they talked about God when I was getting to church situations because that didn't seem like a God that I knew that was everything and all over the place. And the, and the third aspect that really surprised me as we did this was how in learning to know myself, learning to know a bit more about the direct connection between me and my guides was instrumental because Jesus has come in full gangbusters, me recognizing in this process of what's been going on here, that he's been my friend before I was born. And it had nothing to do with religion. I wasn't Christian. I wasn't anything like that. He was one of my teachers. And I've had to own that now in this last couple of years because he helps me with all the choice making I have to do to take care of my body, to take care of my responsibilities, like teaching and going to work and how to manage that all without setting myself off on another illness. So I'm kind of curious, Eric, because I've watched you two break through, and both of you have been instrumental in helping me to get to talk to my guides a little bit more, and also deepening this connection with this rainbow God space, this big, giant, empty space that I love to keep holding now. What's been your experience in how your clearing your childhood traumas is opening your spiritual connection? How can you speak to that? Let's start with Eric this time. Okay. It was really interesting. I don't remember what year it was. I was sort of really drawn to go to a CLM retreat back east, and, but uh, wasn't sure how to make it work. And a miracle upon miracle opened up where a plane ticket showed up. Thank you, Dana. And a hotel room showed up and, and the retreat was covered, right? So I could, I, it was very clear I had to go. And it, it was a lovely 
hotel somewhere without air conditioning in the middle of humid summer. <laughs> but otherwise, and Arie was there too. And I could tell that I was supposed to be there because I was in the food line and then someone walked up to me and said, are you that guy who talks to dead people? Can you talk to my dead brother right now while I was going to lunch? It's like, oh, brother. Like, who's, <laughs> who's, who's been spilling the beans? No one's supposed to talk about this. But anyhow, that person came because they're not spiritual. They're not into the stuff. Their partner came. They just felt called. They had to come here. And her brother came through, and that was why she was there. And then she retreated to her room the entire time. It was very clear that, that I'm in the same boat. I'm here to, to meet the lady in love I've never met before, right? And it was on the last night. I was out in the hallway, the farthest from the hall, and Bobby's working on me just for they have to wrap up, and then we go home the next day. And it was an intense piece. He was helping me through. It was like I thought I might die right there, right? But he helped get some of it out. And this is the piece that I felt stuck. This is before my hospital event. I, I want to be free of this, to feel a freedom of connection with the light at a deeper level. And then in my awareness, way off in the distance, which would be up near the stage if I was to see through all the walls, I was seeing the whole hotel space just energy. There's this radiant presence that just had this white light of utter compassion and love. And I'm, again, I, I had no religious upbringing or, or, or any particular style that's my favorite. I just like the light. And I, who is, who are you? Because I, 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 so many spirits might try to connect with me. I connect with them as flavors or qualities or songs, but this said I'm Jay. And then that Jay's been with me for a while, right? I didn't know what who, that who? meant. Cause I, was that a yacht? Was that, a, that's my fan club in the background? Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, my fan club. Oh, my fan club. Because then I, then I would be helping Dana and this Jay presence was there helping Dana, right? And and others would start, not that that's why, but it, it just became clear that this is a, a that Christ-like presence, right? I don't, I can't, I can't ascertain, I'm not an expert on things or this, but it just has a quality that's just wondrous. So I don't need to go further than that. It seems to have an ability to, to differentiate that which is aligned, which is, that, which, that was, which is maligned, if you will, right? And that's perhaps why Dana Sherry trust, trusts my connections a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yep. that connection started to grow and grow. And when I'm in, I like the word J, I spell it J-A-Y, but I'll use the, the name Isa. That really resonates with my soul. And as I work through my process stuff or healing stuff or anything that I'm stuck in, I just have to ask Isa to hold, hold my heart, hold the back of my heart. It's like letting, like letting an angel hold your hands. And then I feel held and I can feel the light that I felt the first time back east of that hotel. And then at other retreats where it showed up very, very powerfully for me. And sometimes it's hard to trust and receive it because the, the fear or the pain or the memories of the past are so strong that's what I become. It's hard to imagine it's possible to, to be free of this. It's hard to possible that, to not experience it. But when we experience it, it consumes us. And mm-hmm. I have to let the light be with me, not to consume me, but to consume the, the part of my awareness that, that has been consumed by the shadows. Shadows isn't evil or dark. It's just, it's just unpleasant memories. And it's like letting the light come burst through the clouds. I'm, I want the light, and then the light will, will show up. And the clouds are the memories of the past, the shadows that hold us back, the darkness and stuff. And then my awareness is, oh, I, I remember you. Help me remember you. Help me feel you. Help me breathe you. Oh, there you are. And then it's like, oh, there's just shadows. And when I have the light, they begin to melt. And then I feel myself again. I've reclaimed my awareness. And then back on the present moment. And that's the kind of surrender I've always wanted. I barely could say understand it. I, I barely say and be on kindergarten level here. But there's a power in it that I haven't felt at this level until uh, until just this past period of time. It's gotten stronger and stronger as I as my faith in it has grown stronger to overcome my my hate of the shadows that's in my space. Because if I can't stand it, it's some form of the opposite of love. Love is ha- opposite of love is hate. And that creates a false attraction to it. When you hate something, you're focused on it and you haven't let it go. You haven't shredded it. You're, 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 you're hating it to cover the pain of it. Disliking it's another word, for those of you who want a different word, or frustrated, or, or I can't stand it. It's still the opposite of love, allowing, receiving. And the presence that the, the Christ presence, the angelic presence, God presence, just says, let me hold you in the opposite of the space that you're in. 
the opposite of the pain, opposite of the dislike, opposite of the frustration, opposite of the irritation, opposite of the angst, opposite of the hate, opposite of the fall of the attachment to what's wrong. Right. That's the doorway to healing. And Padre shared something to me that one of the sessions he, I, I, I'm not very good at, at quotes from scripture, so I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase this and it will be incorrect. So pardon me those who are listening. I don't even know what scripture it was, but it was, was you come into the, oh my goodness, sorry. I hear, sorry, Padre, if you're listening. But that was some years ago. I'm just not good at uh, that kind of thing. I'm, not, I'm good at patterns and abstractions, but names and, and specifics are harder for me. So as you come into the inner temple, you have to, you have to bear your heart to the light. And you have to let the light touch your heart rather than stand outside the temple and petition it and fix this. Please take this away. No, you have to give the dislike to God. Right. You have to, you have to give it to the light. You can't hate the stuff. I hate this. Take this away from me. You have to say, here's the part that I hate. I'm dislike. I'm stuck in. I'm angry about sad. I'm in shame about, I don't know what to do. Uh, will you hold this with me? You aren't doing anything. You're opening to receive the light. You're not giving it away, trying to cover it up. Trying to, you're not trying to take something to fix it. I don't even know how to describe what that is. I barely understand it. Hopefully, I hope that made sense, or partly made sense. So, yeah, it's very good. Thank I'm you. Not... Thank you, Irit. How have you experienced your work in your childhood on development and its correlation with opening to the divine or opening in your relationship with your guides? Well, it started when I was five or six, and my dad shared a story of how he got shot. And he had the bullets taken out without medicine and he didn't scream. And he shared those stories with, it, it was, it blew me away. It, but what blew me away is he had the light with him when he shared all his stories of all these miracle stories of possibility. So he would share his war stories for a little kid to hear, but be in awe because it was like a superhero story. And so I actually, and he would say how my grandmother knew things before they happened, and he would share those stories. So part of that belief in the possibility in the divine space, I felt it from my father. What I did not know at the time is I used to ask him how he could heal, and he said he, said he had good blood, and I was, what is good blood? And he'd laugh, you know, do I have good blood? But it was that when I researched for my book, and I went to Europe and talked to my great aunt, I found out my dad had a near-death experience and when he got shot. And that near-death experience gave him the light and the light never left him. So I breathed that in without even knowing it of possibility for service. And so that possibility sort of was inside of me, of the divine. Mm -hmm. And then when I was nine, I was walking with my little cousin and she was on the right of me and I was on the left and we were in the country and the car was about to hit her. And I grabbed her hand and I flung her over my head and I could feel the effortlessness and it prevented the accident. And I, I just felt that feeling. And I tried after that to push her and I couldn't even yank her hand. And I knew that there was a force beyond and I wanted to learn more about that. And then when I was in the process and I, you know, I had two broken hands, a concussion, I couldn't sit on the floor. We're doing our guides, studying about our guides and doing a visual and I'm, I'm like so frustrated because I'm sitting in my chair. I'm uncomfortable. I can't move. I can't get up because people are lying down and I want to move the jacket that's uncomfortable for me. And all of a sudden my master guide showed up and it was like, I wasn't trying and it was there guiding me. And I've had so many signs before that, but I didn't realize it. And then the door started to open and Barbara Rose gave me a picture of Mary and she gave me some sculptures and my guide started to show up and then I was at a retreat and I came to Dana and I asked him a question. He said, well, there's something in the front of the room that is your symbol <laughs> and just look for it. And I went and I was like, just like magnetized because I had guides that I didn't even realize because I sort of like going, what, what, what? And it was the divine mercy picture and I had to get it. The beam of light was just like so powerful in the hands. And so thus became my connection with Jay. And what it started with me is having Jay as my healer and recognizing that whenever I lean forward into the problems, because like with my mom, I would always go into the dark trying to save her and I left the light. And that wasn't her intention. But I, I on the one hand, in my personal life, I left the light 
And in my service space, I always had the light and it was so easy for me. And, it, and as I got my guides, it became easier and easier. But I was realizing, and, and Dana helped me a lot, whenever my head was down, I was back trying to save the world without the light, like my family and my mom. And when I leaned back, I leaned back and started asking Jay for help. And so I was learning to face the light more and more. So like on a daily basis now, the secret's out. I asked Jay for help. <laughs> and it's uh, it helped me be in the light. I know the secret's out. And when I'm working with people, all of a sudden I hear, see, and feel things, but it's like I'm put in more and more awe of the divine presence. And mm-hmm. it's like I want that more and more. And there's so many triggers from my life that make me lose the light and those neural pathways. And that's what I'm working on getting more of. So it's like we're so used to a certain way of being and we have to practice the new circuitry and recognize when we're stuck and recognize I'm even too stuck to even ask for help. And that is a good awareness as well because our unconscious programs rule us more than we know. And what I'm finding for some strange reason is the light is always seems to be the answer. That was like a joke, <laughs> but it is. And it's hard because we're so used to a certain way and those programs get in the way. And, you know, my mom was so anxious because of the wartime and she never could, she said nothing for 50 years and, and things started to open up for her when she got reparations for the Germans. So some of the shame and guilt and then people were saying how amazing she was and because I was writing a book, she started to share and it opened her up. So it's like she had that light and lost it, but she regained it towards the end of her life. And, but the patterns that we have are so strong in us, we have to just keep practicing and asking for help. And my experience is we can't do it alone or our thoughts get in the way. So the going to CLM opened up my door to the divine. The divine mercy was like my gift my gift of opening, Barbara Rose helped me open up to more guidance. And I do this all the time when, I, when I'm of service. And I'm learning if I can do it of service, I want to keep practicing so I can have it inside of me in my own personal life. So it changes the dynamics of everything in my life. And one of the key things is the body never lies and it's always guiding us. And if something goes wrong with us, it's not that we did anything wrong because I thought, of course, I did something wrong but it's guiding us that we're off track and we need to go back into balance. And we have so much guidance around us, but it's telling us to get back on track. And if, our, if we get like our neural circuitry stress response, we get into total frozen, I get into fight, flight, or frozen. And when I get into frozen, it's very hard to do anything. It's a physical, physiological response and we wanna learn to deactivate that. So all the different things we, can do to help us get to that place so that we have the light with us all the time. And I still don't understand how my dad and my great aunt and my grandmother found the light in the camps and never let it leave them. They had this inner peace about them that teaches me it's possible, even though I I lose that space so often. So it's not about, well, I hope that sort of answer. And then I also have... You also have what? No, I was going to, never mind. <laughs> you, you, you go. <laughs> so what I'm going to ask you both to do in the background, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, this topic could be talked about for a week. You know, it's, it, it's too hard to try and throw all this information to all of you out there in a comprehensible manner, because it took a long time for all of us to get through all the information about this type of thing. I think the moment anybody brings up anything about childhood stuff, everybody kind of flinches a little bit because one of those group ideas is let's not dig too much in the past. Let's not make somebody to blame. That's not what it's about. What we want to understand is how did I get in this car accident? Because if I can unwind it, I could probably get to the source of what's going on. So just in a minute for a closure, I'm going to ask you in just a second to channel something through that either Draggy or your guys are suggesting for people to think about. Eric, I'm going to ask you to channel through just a one or two minute visualization that Jay suggests to walk everybody through. But I just wanted to give a synopsis of, of, of this. First of all, without 
any organization. My understanding is we all come from God. We all are divine original beings. However, through the process of actually entering in or being in uterus or all the way through your primary five, six, seven years, you're going to experience conflicts and stress from the world coming through your parents who are reacting stressfully or reactively to those situations that they have to deal with, like we do too. Now, lack of money, uh, no food in the fridge. How, you know, we have a pregnant and have another kid. We've got to have more money. I love you, but I've got these problems. On and on. So at some point what happens is not only do you forget why you're here, you forget who you came with, your guides, and you forget who you came from, which is your God self. So what I loved about something like the process where they weren't trying to be religious and get you back to just that spiritual nature, they did the work of actually understanding how to recall yourself. It was the Ridwan work that helped me understand the spiritual nature of who I am, but I'm beginning to really understand and put all the pieces together is that we all have this ability to go back. We all can learn something about our unique divine reality that is ours. It's just, it, it's a timing thing about when it's time to work on this. I knew I had to do it way back in 87. My two friends here, even though they knew me for such a long time, it didn't occur to them that they needed anything like this till just recently. <laughs> but all of us had the same, we all have the same reaction that it's really gotten me past the, the habitual way I keep looking at, reacting to, and predictably run from things that scare me. Now I can assess who I am as a spirit and how to approach this with God and my guidance counsel who actually gets me through everything. So that's currently what the three of us work on continuously. In fact, what I began to see is actually an unconscious ancestral program that's run through my entire father's side about don't show the light or they'll kill us. I mentioned this in a couple of my talks. It, it sounds horrific to think that way, but when you have whole civilizations that, I mean, generations that run through the Spanish Inquisition, right now we're going to find that people are starting to say, hey, do you believe in guns or abortion or this or that? You get, it's very dangerous to talk about what you believe in without having somebody else think it's wrong or bad. Or, so there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of stuff happening to us constantly now that's hard to process our way through. For those of you wanting to know more information about this particular group called The Process, their website's called www.theprocessworks, just the way it's spelled, the way it sounds, T-H-E-P-R-O-C-E-S-S-W-O-R-K-S.org. They offer two-day informational type practices that both Arit and several other my teachers have done, and they offer a nine-week course. And again, I only recommend this organization. There's other spinoffs of the process that try to do the same work in a week or a weekend, and I think that's impossible to do. There's just too much personal protection around looking deeply. And it takes at least four or five weeks of just doing therapy work to actually break down your resistance to even want to look. So that being said, I'm kind of interested in what Jesus or your guides are telling you to share with us. So, Reed, what's the thing that Jay's saying to share? Jay or Dragon? Well, if we blame ourselves or others, we're in a stuck space. And we need to allow our bodies to guide us into the light and trust that the light and our expansiveness and our forgiveness to ourselves and kindness to ourselves is what we want. Otherwise, we're in a fight-or-flight mode. So forgiving ourselves, being kind to ourselves, and knowing when we blame ourselves or others, it just means it's a coping mechanism rather than going deeper into what's really going on so we can heal it. Great. Thank you so much. Eric, as your guides are getting you out there, channel thing. Okay, let's hear what they have to say. Everybody, just take a breath. And just imagine you're taking a breath of presence, whether you call it divine presence, healing presence, angelic presence, just the presence of the light. Each one of you has a guide, an angel, however you see that, that represents the presence for you. And that angel, that guide, is going to hold the presence to you. And just take a moment to see how 
Could you let the presence hold you? Is it letting you hold your hand, touching you, being in a field of light? Or do you offer the pain, the sorrow, the hurt to the light? What do you need to do to be held in the light? Sometimes we try to fix it on fixing the problem, got to deal with this. Sometimes we have to just look at the light and, and let ourselves be held, touched, and try to feel light. It's hard to feel it when we don't feel so good. So even surrender trying to feel it, just let yourself be held in the light. We're just going to hold this light, all the, the angels that help seal in, saints, light beings, higher guides, are going to flow this light to each one of you, wherever you are. And don't doubt it, it's there. Don't try to figure it out. Just, just focus on receiving it and seeing how do you receive it. What's my step? What do you need help surrendering? Not fixing, I gotta get this fixed. No, just help surrender the, the stressor out, the mental part, the anguish, the, the weight. The weight of the past pulls our point of view toward that past point of view. And sometimes the lights help the goal is to help you just Pull, pull your awareness out of where it's stuck so you can see an expanded possibility which opens up doorways of miracles. So over the next few days, maybe we'll be guided to a, a new sacred image, uh, a scripture, a poem, uh, a, some sacred object that represents your symbol for this new connection to the divine of, of opening to receiving, not fixing Receiving is allowing. I just see so many of you being touched by this light. Now, they'd love to do this for hours, so Dana, you can jump in when it's time to let this go. Holy Spirit, as you continue to minister to everyone on this call and everyone that couldn't make this call and all the future people that would like to be on calls or at any of the sessions that CLM offers, please open the doors to this inner knowledge, this remembrance. Give each and every one of these beings permission to remember the beauty of their innocence, of who they were as a spirit, as a little baby the consciousness and connection with you that was there. We ask the guides, the highest guides that we brought in with us to now make themselves present in your room so you can feel the support that's there for you. Regardless how much we play with all the noises and the frequencies of the distraction and the fear and the anxiety beings, we know the true help is here. The original teachers, who we said we'd walk this path with. And now sitting in your room, hold out your hands and ask them to hold your hand. Ask one of them to put a hand on the place that hurts. If it's physical, location in your body, if it's emotional, over your heart, if it's mental, over your head. And spiritual, they touch wherever is needed. Because we are not ill, we are not sick, we are not diseased, we are out of ease. We're not comfortable not knowing you. We're not comfortable not being able to speak, have rapport and sing songs with you. So we invite you in now, Holy Spirit, to permanent residence at the table. You're at the head. Direct us through the rest of our days and into the opening of receiving more of that light and remembering that as we become the light, we become not only healed, but an example to those around us that we can all remember. We can all return. We all could be whole.
Thank you for your love and grace and keep this message turning. Like a seed being watered, let it sprout, let it grow. Let all find that way back to themselves, whichever form takes for them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God bless each and every one of you. Amen. So I want to thank everyone for coming on the call today. I really appreciate your time and your energy. I don't see, I don't have a list of names, so I don't have a way to call out anybody there, but I definitely am seeing healing happening both on the physical, chemical, emotional, and mental levels happening right now as we take this energy into our evenings together. With that, I'd like to thank you all for joining us. Thank you specifically to my two friends, Reed Schaefer and Eric Otto. Thanks both to you for offering your great wisdom and insights tonight. Again, you have any questions for any of us? Our information was offered at the beginning, as well as I think CLM has our contact, and you can ask any further questions about this information if you're looking for more. Thank you and take care.